people out of Congress next November. And it's going to be easier with the things that Abramoff will disclose to these federal investigators. Because I really think that he's not the kind of man that'll stand up and say, I believe in what I did. He knows what he did was wrong. And he knows that taking money from people who aren't as astute as others, like Russian oil folks, American Indian tribes, who have billions of dollars but don't know how things work in Washington, taking their money, giving it to his buddies, opening up restaurants to wine and dine people, and paying them to vote a certain Mm way. I mean, it's the, the Repu- it's the American way, yes. but it's got to yeah. stop. Well, the Republican Congress has just basically been wheeling and dealing with big business, and they're in the business of selling off this country, basically, to the wealthy people. And, you know, and, it, and we have to stop it. We have These to stop it. These people are as corrupt as it gets. And, you know, when they came into power in 94, they came under power. They sold to the American people that for 40 years the Democrats had been a corrupt party. We'd been in power for 40 years. And in the 11 years that they've been in power, this is this could potentially be the biggest corruption scandal in memory, in recent memory at all. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you'd have to go back probably to the Grant administration after the Civil War to find anything comparable to this current Republican Congress. But I don't remember that, do you? No, I don't. I was a mere babe in arms at that time. <laughs> yeah, well, we want to thank we our guest Richard. About where I was. <laughs> we want to thank our guest Richard Clagsburn. Uh Get out. Go to the. Um, go over to the Michigan Theater. Theater. See Good Night and Good Luck. Mm-hmm. See what it was like to be alive during the McCarthy era, and and what it was like to be a journalist at that time, trying to bring this information to the people. I mean. In some ways, they have had an advantage because uh, the media wasn't owned. There weren't five guys that mm-hmm. owned the entire media, but still they had to fight tooth and nail to really bring this information out. Well, one thing I will say is that it looks like even David Letterman was willing to go toe-to-toe <laughs> with Bill O'Reilly. So maybe, maybe things are starting to turn. That's right. <laughs> Keep your hearts lifted up, everybody. <laughs> and we're with you, David. Yes, we are. All right. Thanks for tuning in again. We'll be here next week. We'll have uh, President Bush's radio address for you. We don't, we're waiting yes, with we're bated gonna, breath to hear yes, what he might have gonna, to say. We're not going to ignore the president. We are not. We stand behind him. I stand next to George Bush. I saw a bumper sticker that said that. I stand with our President George Bush. I waited next to that car for that person to come out to say to them, what, oh, are we <laughs> making lines here? You're over there. I'm here. No. We're not making lines. We're all one people. Remember, mm-hmm. he was going to bring us together, not apart. Mm-hmm. Still talking. I'm sorry, Mike. Coming up next, Mike Perini in <laughs> Pandora's Lunchbox. I'm Charmy Golson. This is Ali. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. Box of box of chocolates Would I know To stay away What's that Hand off his box of box of chocolates Would I eat Them anyway Cause Every time I have Half a mind to leave you Babe that means I have Half a mind to stay It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.
Good evening and happy 2006 to you. This is Mike, and you're listening to a show about food, and maybe you're eating it right now. The food, not the show. Pandora's Lunchbox. Now, this is 2006. A lot is going to happen this year, but this year is just a baby right now. And speaking of babies, we're going to talk about plastic babies that appear in pastries. Yes, and we're going to talk about all kinds of other stuff because today and tomorrow are special days in some parts of the world. And it's actually the end of the holiday season in some places. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first of all, what's very important is that we all set our New Year's resolutions because if you're like me, you haven't bothered and the New Year hasn't begun for you because you're still writing 2005 on your checks, even though it's January 5th, like me. So here it is with Nick Lowe going to give us our New Year's resolutions. Repeat after me. Repeat after Nick. After me. Okay, let's eat. That's Nick Lowe, and our New Year's resolution for this year, for all listeners, is let's eat. Not a difficult one to follow, and that's why I'm doing it, and you are too. That was Nick Lowe and his ad hoc band called Last Chicken in the Shop, which is a food reference. Our first food reference of 2006, Where Is My Bell to Ring It, 
It's the first food reference of 2006. And that's from a collection called Live Stiffs or Stiffs Live, depending on whether you're reading it upside down or drunk or backwards. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and you're listening to Pandora's Lunchbox. Now, today is a special day in some parts of the world. I was just about to talk about that, you know. It's the epiphany in some parts of the world. Let's go to Italy, shall we? Let's just go. Okay, we're there. This is actually from a website called ansa.it, or perhaps ansa.it. This news here. Italian kids hunted out stockings today, ahead of the Epiphany holiday, which brings a final round of gifts for children and the knowledge that seasonal festivities are almost over. According to tradition, a white-haired witch known as the Befana arrives on her broomstick during the night of January 5th and fills the stockings of good children with toys and sweets. The naughty ones, on the other hand, find a lump of coal. Wow. Parents who see Christmas as something of a challenge greet the January 6th Epiphany holiday with relief, as it means children will soon return to school and there are no more expenses for the time being. Yes! According to consumer groups, this year the arrival of the Befana will generate turnover of 850 million euros for toy and sweet makers, about 50 million more than in 2005. Pre-packaged stockings filled with chocolates and sweets cost 10% than last 10% than last year, it says here, missing a word, obviously. Even stockings themselves cost 5% more. But the sugary lumps of coal destined for black sheep in the nation's households cost the same as 2005, just 50 cents for 3 grams. Because this year Epiphany falls on a Friday, many families are expected to take the opportunity of an extended weekend to travel to friends and relatives. The Pope... We're always interested in what the Pope's doing on Pandora's Lunchbox. The Pope will mark the Epiphany when Christians celebrate the visit of wise men bearing gifts to Jesus with a morning Mass in St. Peter's Basilica. In line with another Epiphany tradition, a procession of hundreds of people in medieval costumes will walk along the wide avenue leading up to the Vatican, carrying symbolic gifts for the Pope. It's Epiphany, and we're here to celebrate because it involves eating food, especially chocolates and goodies and things like that. But first of all, I want to take the opportunity to go back in time just a little bit to one of my favorite events of 2005 in my life. This is a road trip I took in the middle of the summer. What that has to do with the epiphany? Well, it was an epiphany for me. I was about the lamest transition ever. But it's like this. I went to South Dakota because my parents live in Omaha, Nebraska. In southern South Dakota and southeastern South Dakota, there's a little tip at the bottom of the state, just a little tip down there, and it's kind of like when you stick your finger uh, up when you're drinking a very fancy cup of tea. You don't do that? Okay, neither do I. But if you did that upside down, the tea would fall on the floor. And South Dakota kind of looks like that. Yes. So anyway, in that corner of South Dakota is the college town of Vermilion, and in Vermilion is a music museum called the National Music Museum with about 10,000 musical instruments. And when I was there, I talked to a fella, and then I heard my own voice, and it sounded kind of like this. Okay, so I brought a tape recorder with me on this road trip, and I made a recording of something beautiful that I saw there, built in 1913, this beautiful Nickelodeon, the likes of which I'd never seen before. talked to a fellow in the museum about it, and I recorded it on an Edison cylinder, so that's why it sounds like this. Okay, it's not actually in an Ellison, Ellison Cylinder or an Ellison Cylinder. Okay, anyway, it goes like this. So this is an orchestrion. This is uh, built in 1913, correct? Yeah, this was made by the J.P. Seberg Piano Company of Chicago, Illinois. 
Um, and it's called an orchestrion because it has much more than just player piano. It has player organ pipes. Um, there are also several percussion instruments in there, including a bass drum and snare drum sound. So it's a lot of fun. And I see, it uh, looks like, yeah, timpani, cymbal, and triangle all in there, too. Yep, all those sound effects stuck right in the piano. And a mandolin, they fit that in there? Well, that's actually an effect done with the organ pipes. It's uh, like a... Mandolin pedal kind of thing? Exactly, exactly. Okay, so I have a, a nickel here. This is a nickel from 1991, so it's not a vintage <laughs> nickel, but I can just put this in the orchestra and make it make Still noise. Still work, yeah. Okay, here we go. Firing up. What is your name, sir? Uh, my name is Jason Dobney. I'm the Associate Director of the Museum. Okay. And can you describe a little bit uh, the ornate work on the... Uh, sure. It's the covered camp? by um, stained glass windows for period of 1913, of course. And they're sort of reminiscent of Tiffany glass. I mean, uh, Tiffany lamps sort of looks that style. Um, and it's got a farm scene on it and uh, pasture land, so it's quite nice. It's a beautiful thing. It's... Like lots of things in this museum, it's art, and it has a use, and it makes music. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, and that was Sounds of the National Music Museum in Vermilion, South Dakota. I went there last summer, and it was an epiphany for me, hence 
the epiphany. Ba-dum-bum. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. Ba-dum-ba-bum-bum. No, that's too late. Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. We're talking about food. This is a show about food. My name is Mike. Thank you. Nice to meet you. And we've been talking because, because today is January 5th, and in many cultures, Friday, January 6th, is considered the real end of the holiday season. It's called the Feast of the Epiphany, or the Day of the Three Kings, the day when the official 12 days of Christmas comes to a close. And I talked a little bit about uh, the Epiphany in Italy a moment ago, but let's talk a little bit about the Epiphany in Mexico. This is from the Mexico edition of the Miami Herald. While Christmas has taken over from many Mexicans as the more important day, certainly in rural areas, Three Kings Day remains the exciting day for children, as it is then that they will receive their presents. If they follow tradition, they will write a letter to the kings, or choose one king as their favorite, asking for their special gifts, and will leave the letter on the eve of Three Kings Day in an old shoe under a bed. Some children also leave water and hay outside their houses for the wise men's camels. On January 6th, they will open their presents. The day is always marked with the suspenseful consuming of a crown-shaped sweetbread decorated with jewel-like candied fruit. Into this bread, called Rosca de Reyes, is baked a plastic baby doll, or often more than one doll, symbolizing a secure place away from Herod's army where the infant child could be born. Each person cautiously cuts his or her own slice of the Rosca, as those who find a doll in their slice will host a party on February 2nd, Candlemas Day. By tradition, on this day, 40 days after Christmas, when the Virgin Mary was purified, the nativity scene is put away, and the baby Jesus, a porcelain doll, clothed in its christening gown, is presented in church. Besides the rosca, most often store-bought, the traditional food offerings on Three Kings Day are tamales and atole, or hot chocolate. So it's really all about food, isn't it? Now, I've gone to this website called MardiGrasDay.com, and there's a specific reason for that, because at this time, not only is it Three Kings Day and all of those things, it's also called Twelfth Night. Yes, the, the origins of Twelfth Night celebrations, says here in the Washington Post, are difficult to trace, in part because they took on lives of their own in different countries, as we've just found out. Some accounts say they started in the Middle Ages, and by the early 1600s, when William Shakespeare introduced his comedy Twelfth Night, the Eve of Epiphany had evolved into a rowdy occasion of banquets, plays, and partygoers dressed in disguise. The New Orleans connection is getting closer here. Twelfth Night festivities, usually featuring a king cake or Twelfth Night cake, made their way into the American colonies and were a popular way of bringing the Christmas holidays to a glorious conclusion. In New Orleans and other U.S. cities, Twelfth Night assumed a different role, concluding one holiday season and kicking off another with Carnival, a decidedly secular celebration, decidedly secular celebration, I should say that a lot, despite its religious origins. The orgiastic, I should say that too a lot, the orgiastic free-for-all debuted in Louisiana in the 1820s after students returned from school in Paris, put on strange costumes and danced in the streets, and became part of the first Mardi Gras parade in 1837. So, it all begins now in New Orleans, and if you go to a website called MardiGrasDay.com, you can find out about King Cake and how to make one. You can also read about the Mardi Gras parade schedule for 2006, and what they say on the website is, yes, there is one planned. A Mardi Gras will be in New Orleans, no matter what, but the schedule might change because everything's unpredictable right now. But it says here, on Sunday, January 22nd, there will be a parade at 6.30 p.m. by the Funny 40 Fellows in New Orleans. That's P-H-U-N-N-Y, 40, P-H-O-R-T-Y, fellows, P-H-E-L-O, sorry, that's P-H-E-L-L-O-W-S, the funny P-40 fellows in New Orleans. Meanwhile, in Ann Arbor, Tuesday, January 17th, there will be a benefit 
for Hurricane Relief going on at the Ark, and that will feature music by the Raisin Pickards, Raisin Pickers, another food reference, Matt Watroba, Joe Serapair, and Beth Patterson. Beth Patterson is visiting from New Orleans, and she will be performing Celtic, Cajun, Classical, African, and Latin styles on bouzouki sometimes, bass sometimes, percussion sometimes, keyboard sometimes, and she'll be accompanying the Raisin Pickers, Matt Watroba, and Joe Serapair. So that's a hurricane relief benefit coming up at the Ark on Tuesday, January 17th. Now we're going to hear some more food of New Orleans in the form of song. That's exactly what I meant to say. And this one is called Coconut Milk. Coconut Milk by Bo Dallas and the Wild Magnolias. You can get that on a collection called Louisiana Spice. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, and 
Face the Music with Our Wolf is coming up momentarily, but first of all, let's take a trip back in time. Let's hop in the car here, and we're going to go back in time. You ready? Let's get uh, going here. We're going to jump in the car and get back in time. We're going to take the car, and uh, we're going to jump back. Okay, let's just walk. Um, okay, back in time we go on my road trip to South Dakota last summer, and uh, I think it would be easier if I just hit play on the CD player and and self-indulgently listen to myself talk. Here we go. Sorry to be rude. Uh, we were just talking a moment ago with myself about my road trip to Buffalo Ridge, South Dakota, where I witnessed the 1880 cowboy town. And if you're familiar with the Japanese concept of wabasabi, of things falling apart in a beautiful way, then this is an example of that. This 1880 cowboy town built in the 1960s by a good fellow named Dean Songstead. Uh, he's been retired for about 15 years now. He's a retired history professor. His family came from Norway. His grandfather worked the railroads, and he built this educational and informational 1880 cowboy town in Buffalo Ridge, South Dakota, just off I-90, real close to Sioux Falls. And I went there, and I thought to myself, yes, it's kind of like Irish Irish hills in South Dakota, but there, there are a couple of hills there. But I, I made some recordings of that, and I want to share those with you right now. Some of the slightly scary mannequins there, and which at the same time I found were actually beautiful. So we're going to start with a little bit of music here, and, uh, and that's okay. That's not the music I was expecting at all. But let's uh, try this here. That's some uh, music here. Here we go. Yeah, that's it. Union Telegram here. His hands look like they've been seriously diseased. Now he's looking up, slowly, and looking back down. And now he's doing it again. He's a melancholy mannequin. And the narrator, who we just heard, was chopping his teeth up and down, kind of like Hannibal Lecter. It was very scary. But educational and historical. Come on. I want to bring you now to what is probably the scariest part of the 1880 cowboy town. And, of course, that would be the opera house, naturally. Well, you walk into the opera house here in the cowboy town, it talks about frontier recreation and entertainment. And it has a few flyers. It has uh, the sheet music to My Little Chickadee by Mae West and W.C. Fields. Sorry, that's actually a movie poster. It has an advertisement for the Edison photograph and a sign saying this room is equipped with electric Edison electric light. Do not attempt to light with a match. Simply turn key on wall by the door. The use of electricity for lighting is in no way harmful to health, nor does it affect the soundness of sleep. That's all well and true, but here in the Opera House, there is a magic show featuring a very sort of dead-eyed mannequin and a woman who seems to be asleep or in a trance who's about to be cut in half. Let's hear what happens, shall we?
at the very end when the animatronic or however you want to call it turned off the woman's head it took a little shake to the side as she apparently died a grisly and horrible death and the man who was sawing her in half had no facial expression at all it was very very creepy ladies if a man says I'm going to saw you in half this won't hurt a bit check his credentials are you ready for the legend of Potato Creek Johnny? Are you? Well then, here we go. Wowie, I'm John Perrin, better known as Potato Creek Johnny in these parts. I came to the Dakota Territory from the country of Wales in England in 1883, looking for adventure. I had high hopes of being a Dakota cowboy in the Black Hills. At four foot three inches tall, though, and just 17 years old, I wasn't big enough. I had many jobs, but being short was a problem. So back in 91, 1890, Being short was a problem, so are those chompers. This guy's chompers are seriously creeping me out. down on Potato Creek and snaked the plane. Headed back to town, bought me some supplies. When he talks, his jaw, lower jaw, chat kind of jitters a little bit, it's, and his eyes look just kind of possessed. Jane 